Kia no mai, hi to mai, I'm Dan, welcome to the Short Vineyard Podcast, great to have you listening today. The message you're about to hear is from our current series called Eight Journeys, God Encounters That Could Change Us Forever. We want to explore this idea of being moved in 2019 from wherever we are now to wherever God is calling us to, taking whatever next step there is in our faith journey. So hopefully that's what this message encourages you to do. And stick around because at the end, I'll let you know how you could take a next step to be a further part of our church community. Right now, enjoy the message. So this is the second to last week of a series that we're calling Eight Journeys. If you've seen any of our social media, our posters around, we're talking about God encounters that will change us forever or the possibility of them changing us forever. And so during February, two services uh, each day, so four weeks, two services, we're, we're looking at eight different characters in the Bible and, and looking at their journey with an overall sense of you know, moving from here to there, um, some of the journeys that they did. And so we kicked off a couple of weeks ago by talking about Saul and Joshua. Uh, last week we talked um, Esther and Lydia. Um, this morning Janelle did a great um, message on Zacchaeus. Uh, tonight I'm talking about Naomi, Ruth, sort of I haven't, still haven't quite decided, so I've sort of um, bunched them in together. And next week in the morning, um, uh, Calvin will be talking about Fotine, whose um, name doesn't appear in the Bible, but you'll know all about her if you come in the morning or if you listen on our, um, uh, on our Facebook Live or on our podcast. Um, and at night, um, Fran will be speaking about David. So that will wrap up the messages or six of the messages. We listen to all of them on the, on the podcast if you're not here for all of them. With the idea that each of them might warm your heart, but maybe with the idea that one of them might actually become something of an example for you going forward in life, that God might just connect you with one of them along the way. So being open to that possibility with this whole idea of um, being a God encounter that would change us forever. So we'd love you to grab your phones, your devices, turn to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament. Um, it's a, it's a teeny-weeny book, only four chapters long. I'm going to tell you something of the story because it's not necessarily a story that we're massively familiar with. Maybe it's a Sunday school um, story that would um, you know, bring back memories, but, but not necessarily for, for everybody. And so I'm going to take you through a little bit of the story of the book of Ruth, but we're not going to read it as such. Um, and so hopefully you can follow through. You might like to have a read of it after tonight and see how it works for you. So, so the book of Ruth kicks off with this lady called Naomi. Naomi is married. She has two sons and, um, and times are bad in where she lives, which is Bethlehem, which is interesting, uh, in Judah. And so she has to leave Bethlehem for, you know, she's an economic um, refugee, really, and ends up in this place called Moab. Moab uh, is a hostile territory. It has always been hostile territory to, to the Jews. And she ends up there in that hostile area. Her two sons marry Moabite women. So they, they form this this community, um, which is sort of half Jewish and half Moabite. And then the greatest tragedy that could possibly happen to her happens that in quick succession, her husband and her two sons die, and Ruth is left alone in this hostile land 
with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. This is most of chapter one. And so she decides, unsurprisingly, I suppose, is that this is a difficult place, particularly for a a woman in those times, to be. And so she decides that she will go home to Bethlehem in Judah, and she urges her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, um, that they should stay where they are, because they're Moabite women, and they would get just as hostile reception back where she's from as she would get where they are from. So Orpah decides that, yes, she will stay or she'll go back into her own place. Uh, And the the story really revolves around the amazing relationship between Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, because Ruth decides to go with her. And if you've ever heard a quote from the book of Ruth, that will probably be this one, um, which is Ruth saying, don't force me to go. This is to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go, and where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die, and that's where I'll be buried, so help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. So it's a, it's, it's a, a reasonably off-quoted verse of you know, this incredible devotion that Ruth sang. And so we discover, and we will discover through the whole of the book of Ruth, if we read it, um, some of the qualities of this young woman, Ruth, um, of the loyalty, uh, the boldness, and the heart for God that she has to pursue um, the living God. And so we have this you know, kind of heartwarming process that we're going to see throughout the time. But the, the, in a sense, the fruit of all of this great you know, character stuff is still some way off into the future because Ruth and Naomi make this trip back for Naomi for the first time for Ruth, it seems. They arrive in Bethlehem, they arrive in Judah, and, and they arrive to um, uh, Naomi's family and friends, and they say, you know, here's Naomi. And we, we get a little bit of a glimpse into the, I don't know, into the depth of, of distress and despair that these losses of these two sons, I mean, I think we can understand it ourselves in a way, two sons and a husband for Naomi. And she says to them, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter uh, this is the, uh, the message, the strong one has dealt me, God has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Can you imagine the sense of, I don't know, um, you know we, can't, we can't feed ourselves here, we have to go there, we go there, we're able to feed ourselves, but we, even the little we have gets stripped away. And she goes on, why would you call me Naomi? God certainly doesn't call me that. The strong one ruined me, ruined me. God ruined me. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible gut, um, I don't know, declaration of the misery, really, that Naomi's feeling at that time. Um, so that's the end of chapter one. We move into chapter two, and we met, meet a man whose name is Boaz. Now, um, Boaz is an Israelite farmer. Um, and he's a relative of Naomi's husband, it seems. He's a, he's a relative of the extended family. And he's variously described in there as worthy, noble, and generous, various other things. This is a good man. Boaz is a really good man. And he meets Ruth, and he's really impressed by Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law. Um, and he makes special provision for her. So in those days, being a widow is, is, is really 
Um, and, and being an out, a foreign widow, widow is almost the worst thing that you can do. But the widows would glean from the edges of the field of the, of the grains or whatever was being harvested. And Boaz makes special provision for Ruth and a, a, as a result of Ruth, also for Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And so he's so impressed he, and he talks about Ruth. He says, I've heard all about you, heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done and with a generous bonus besides from God to whom you have come seeking protection under his wings. And we see in this the beginning of the turning of the story, this long story, this desperate story, this difficult story, this difficult journey in the context of our eight journeys um, series. And this gives Naomi hope. You begin to see through as you come to the end of chapter two, from the despair of the end of chapter one, uh, Ruth, uh, uh, Naomi beginning to see that there may be a greater plan that God has in hand. Why God bless that man, she says. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. What a, what, you know, kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. What a little glimpse. What a little sense of, you know, sort of God is completely gone. But this glimpse of he still loves us in bad times as well as good. This is the, the message or something in the message that we're going to get from the story. As we go through the story, we then discover that Boaz qualifies as variously described depending on the translation, but for tonight we'll call it as, as a family redeemer, as someone who's going to redeem this family. So back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, God makes provision for the widows who, um, whose husband dies, die um, childless or they're childless when their husband dies. And he makes a provision within the families that that kind of a brother or family member will, will marry. I mean, it seems completely weird and completely strange in our culture, but will to provide for and to take under the, you know, the family wing in a sense. And so um, Boaz is a family redeemer and it's through that relationship that Naomi and Ruth begin to conclude or begin to become aware that God even in their desperate times, even back in Moab, even in the times where they couldn't see any light, that God had already fashioned something of a solution to the difficulty they had. It's significant, though, because um, Boaz you know, ultimately will marry Ruth, and we will, we will get to see that as the story goes on. But his willingness to marry Ruth is all about her character and not about her duty. He falls in love with this Beautiful woman, um, but still a foreign woman, still a, a woman from outside what's, what's the cultural expectation of the time for the great character traits that she shows because she is a woman of this great nobility, of this great boldness, of this great loyalty. And so he, he, he meets his duty in a sense, but he meets it out of his heart rather than out of a, you know, kind of a, I must obey God, I must obey God sort of thing. And so it's a, it's a heartwarming sense. And so at the end, by the end of the story in chapter four, there's sort of a, um, a reversal of, the, of chapter one, you know, whereas um, Naomi uh, lost a husband and a son. By the end of chapter four, um, Ruth has gained a husband and a son, and the process goes on from that. And I'm just going to show you a little clip just to end the sort of the setting of the scene of this whole thing which comes from an app called, or, or, or a website called Read Scripture. And I want to show it to you as much as anything, because I could explain it myself, but, uh, but as much as anything so that you actually get to see um, what is a terrific resource if you've never been there before. So I hope it all links up okay. So let's give it a little go. This story is beautifully designed 
And that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right? The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. It's just a fan, the whole clip is seven minutes long. It's just a fantastic series on every book of the Bible, and some of them are, are, are divided into um, multiple parts in terms of showing it. But if you're ever sort of stuck and you think, you know, kind of what, what is the essence of, of, you know, kind of the book of, um, I don't know, the book of Genesis or something like that, there are two parts to it. It just helps you uh, um, um, really get it. So it's called Read Scripture, and it's a very useful thing. So in terms of um, the book of Ruth and, and talking about the story, of Ruth and Naomi tonight. How does all of this speak to us today? How does it kind of, you know, echo down uh, two and a half, three, three millennia later and, and, and bring us into a situation in 2019 where it might invite us to a God encounter that would change us forever? And so I want to just spend the rest of my time tonight to think about a few points out of this whole story of Ruth that may be relevant to us tonight. And so I think the, the first thing for me anyway that the book of Ruth uh, shows to me and encourages me about how important it is in our relationship with God to play the long game. Um, it is a long game, our relationship with God, rather than sort of a short game of how I feel today. And so there is going to be times where, where we, we feel like we are struggling in our relationship with God. There's some of the things that we need to, we need to sort of, um, I don't know, grasp as fundamental principles is that God is for us, but there are going to be times, because we see it in the Bible, we see it in Naomi's story in particular, but also Ruth's, there are going to be times when it doesn't feel like God is for us. And it does perhaps even feel like that God's against us. We're praying and we don't seem to have any answers. We're, we're seeking God and it just doesn't seem to be working. Um, God is nice and he likes us, but what when we don't actually experience that on a day-to-day -day basis? And so I think one of the things that the story of Ruth, and there'll be people here tonight perhaps, who feel like God is absent from them at the moment. And I think one of the things the book of Ruth shows us is that, is that God 
has a bigger and longer term picture at play in what he's doing in our lives than we can see right now. Um, to use a, a very corny example, is this is a marathon and not a sprint. This is Mary, um, it says Kaitani from Kenya, winning the um, New York Marathon last year. And if, you were, if you're going to equate our Christian lives to an athletics um, race, it wouldn't be a 100-meter dash with, the, with the, the finish line in sight. It would be, um, it would be a, a place that we're going over a long period of time, and we would be going through, to, you know, marathon runners hit the wall sometimes. You have to go through that. Um, they, you know, it's a mind game as much as a physical game, all of those sorts of things. If you were comparing it at all, there's something of a long term, and we need to play the long game. And I think so often we can abandon our sense of faith, abandon where we are in terms of God. We can call ourselves bitter like um, Naomi did. Um, but we, but if, if we can know and if we can remember that we're playing a long game in this thing. What else do I think of thing? I think it, I think it um, calls us towards doing the right thing. You know, there is never a time where you're disadvantaged, I don't think, by doing the right thing. Um, and I think often we know what the right thing is, and and whether it's seen by others or whether you know whether the, even there are consequences sometime of doing the wrong thing, uh, of doing the right thing that you might think are disadvantageous to you. Um, the story of Ruth would encourage us in the character of Ruth and the character of Boaz, um, and ultimately sort of the, the the blessing that comes upon Naomi to do the right thing, to be people of the right thing. You're never disadvantaged by being honest. You're never disadvantaged by being loyal. You're never disadvantaged by being noble. You're never disadvantaged by being generous. And yet you sometimes might think, you know, sort of, but if I do that, it's going to cost me that, and what happens there? But you're never disadvantaged by doing those things. Think of the qualities that we see in the story of Ruth, the, the qualities of loyalty, the qualities of generosity, the qualities of nobility. These are presented to us as inspirations for us as we go about our journey. I remember I, I was a um, uh, sort of in another life, I was a journalist. I used to work at the New Zealand Herald, and um, I always worked on a Sunday night, and back in those days it was heavily unionized, so if you worked on a Sunday, you got double time, go figure. It was so, so good those days. And so because they were always kind of looking for staff to, to um, fill other slots, they would ask me, oh, can you work Monday night? And I'd say, oh, you know, kind of if I could, I'd go and work Monday night. And because I was sort of locked in maybe to some pay code that whenever, whenever Vic Francis turned up, he was so important that he got paid double time. Whenever I worked Monday nights, I always got paid double time as well. And so every time I would go and work Monday nights or Wednesday nights or whatever it was, when my pay packet came the next time um, on my pay slip, it was like, oh, I've been paid for eight hours more than I need to be paid for. And every time, because I was only there Sundays and the occasional day during the week, I'd have to make the trek to, to my boss and the, and the pay office was closed. And so I have to email and contact them. I have to work out how to get money back give them money back and, you know, kind of, do you want to not pay me this time because you paid me three times too much over the last two months or something like that? And my boss sort of said to me one day, he just said, why don't you just take it, you know? Why don't, why don't you just, why don't you, I mean, big organization, it wasn't his money sort of thing. Why, you know, kind of what, you're, you're so honest. You're so honest. And it's like, that's the way I want to live. You know, that's the way I want to be. I'm believing that there is a, that, that there is, well, it's not, it's not for reward, but I'm believing that this is what I've bought into. 
and, and that there is a godliness in that whole process. You're never disadvantaged by giving back eight hours' pay that you'd, that, you didn't, that you'd be really worthwhile if you were able to have it. You're never disadvantaged by being honest or loyal or doing the right thing. And I think the story of Ruth, um, the story of Naomi, and the story of Boaz um, does that. So do the right thing. I think it, it, it um, inspires us too to be an unlikely hero. And, and, and we see in this story the most unlikely of heroes. And when you look at the scriptures and you look at any of our eight stories, our eight journeys that we're doing during this series, it is the most unlikely people that God seems to use so much. People who are considered to be underdogs or unimportant or, or, or unimpressive or something like that from a human perspective. Um, the Apostle Paul would sort of reflect on this um, when, he, when he sort of discovered in a sense that for all his intelligence and all his learning, he really didn't have a lot to offer. And he, and he said that the Lord told him, my grace is enough. You know, this is God speaking to Paul. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And he says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. He's talking actually about the thornless flesh and so he's prayed that it would go. I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. I mean, how amazing is that? It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, the things that actually make me weak, the abuse, the accidents, the opposition, the bad breaks. We would sort of see bad breaks as something of, you know, God's left me, maybe. But he says, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. There's something incredibly significant in that. I, I think in all of us, you know, we all identify with Clark Kent because we feel pretty darn ordinary. But for all of us, there is an invitation to be an unlikely hero. You know, you know we, we New Zealanders, don't we? We detest sort of, you know, people who are really up themselves and sort of, you know, always, always think that they're the greatest thing. But the invitation of God, I think, is that we, the unlikely, we, the not very worthy, we, the ones who would disqualify ourselves. And I think, you know, kind of, we would probably all count um, ourselves to be like that. We all have the invitation to be at times something of an unlikely hero. Naomi and Ruth becoming part of the lineage of Jesus? You've got to be kidding. When you're sitting in Moab and you've got no food and your husband's died and your two sons have died and, and it's three, three single women, three widows, no prospects, no future, you know, kind of, um, you know, got to go back or tail between your legs, all of these sorts of things. And God's story is going to end up that you're going to be, you know, kind of uh, Naomi, uh, Ruth and Boaz's son is going to be the grandfather of King David and King David in the genealogy of Jesus. It's just ridiculous. But unlikely heroism is there for all of us. It's part of our journey. It will be uh, um, an invitation to us at some stage. And then finally, I think we need to, we learn from the story of the invitation, the ongoing invitation, or maybe tonight a first invitation, but to meet our family redeemer. Remember that whole family redeemer thing? You know, God had put in place something already, although they couldn't see it, that, um, that would restore Naomi and restore Ruth. You know, God 
has a mission to restore us. This is the process. This is the encouragement we can get. And so you have Naomi at the end of chapter 1, empty, devastated, bitter, you know, angry at God. It's like such a stark, raw prayer that she prays or declaration that she prays. You know, the strong one has abandoned me. You know, so he's so strong, but he's abandoned me along the way. And she needed a redeemer. And Boaz was there, placed by God already, to bring redemption to her. And in a way, she just needed to meet him. It wasn't like she had to invent him or discover him in some way. It had already been made. And we too start out, or we too will have an identification. Maybe I don't know being empty or devastated or bitter. I don't know, you know where we would place ourselves. But we too at times would feel like we are distant, like we are not connected with God. You can choose your own words. You could say it's you know, by sin, it's by separation, it's by you know, kind of the, the difficulties that we've had in our lives, whatever it might be. And we need a redeemer. You know? And that redeemer has already been given to us. That redeemer is, is Jesus who we worship. Is God's Son who we are invited to come to know and to have relationship with, already put there by God, already having done what we need for us already and inviting us in an ongoing way to discover. And so we're heading, you know, after this week uh, or after next week and the last week of our, um, of our Eight Journeys series, we have, uh, obviously we've got camp out the following week and then we're heading into a couple of series that will lead us up into Easter. And when you think about Easter, what Easter is an invitation to is to meet our family redeemer, is to meet Jesus who did it all. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a really significant and wonderful thing that God provides for us, that he invites us to embrace and to grow with. And so as we come to a conclusion, I, I, I'd like to ask you to stand if you would. And um, we're just going to pray. We're going to invite the Spirit of God just to come and minister to us in whatever place that we're in at the moment. And what I'd love you to do is just to have a look up on the screen. And um, these are the four points that I'm making out of the story of Ruth to do the right thing, to play the long game, um, to be an unlikely hero, um, to meet your family redeemer. And what I would just love you to do is just, just to look at that screen and to invite God to invite you to one of those lines, you know, to one of those things. You know, maybe you might, you, know, you might be in a situation where you've, you've got to make a decision to do the right thing or not. Maybe you know, you're, you're, you're at the, your wit's end, and tonight is an invitation of God to see something broader and longer than what you can see. Maybe um, you have an opportunity to, to be a hero, or you will do, or you, you desire to. You never feel like that's ever quite happened. Or maybe tonight is an opportunity for you to meet for the first time or again your family redeemer. And what I want you to do is just, just led by God, I'd be confident that as you look up there that he will invite you to a line. And maybe you want to take all of them. And you know, if you, if you don't have any real sense, I'll just pray for you in general. But I want to pray and I'm going to ask for God to come in each of those areas. And as, as your line comes up, just open your heart and invite him in. 
and let's believe that on our journey, you know, these are journeys that could change our lives forever. So God, we come before you inspired by the story of these amazing women, Ruth and Naomi. We thank you for them. We thank you that it's not just a, a strange cultural story. It's not just a, um, a story that doesn't mean anything particularly to us. Thank you that it's not just a Sunday school story that we would love or that we love to learn or that we would love our kids to learn someday. But Lord, we thank you that it's a story that's dynamic and relevant for us today, right through all of that, all of the culture, all of the time. And so Lord, I want to pray for those who, who you might be tonight be calling and inviting to do the right thing in life. And Lord, we recognize the difficulty, particularly when it will never be noticed. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for in our congregation, for, for things like loyalty and nobility and generosity and boldness and, and all the things we see in the story of Ruth would be features for us in our life as well. So for those for whom that's a line, I want to thank you. Lord, I pray about this long game thing. You know, particularly for people now who may feel stuck in a short-term perspective or maybe have never thought about the long-term game. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to lift our eyes to the horizons, to see who and what you are, to be able to, to go the, the length, to trust you, Lord God, that what we feel in February won't be what we feel in December or in February 10 years or whatever it might be. Lord, that you are good, that you are for me, that you are kind and nice and inviting me into relationship. For those, Lord, who feel that that's a line for them, Lord, would you just seal that a little and, and, and cement it into lives? Lord, I pray for the heroes in our congregation. I pray for all of the Clark Kents, and that's all of us in a sense, but for those who you're going to call even to do great things and to see great things happen. Lord, that we could be those unlikely heroes. Lord, we don't have any trouble at all um, being able to reveal to ourselves and to you even why we're disqualified from, being, from doing anything magnificent, anything heroic. But Lord, we thank you that you take just ordinary people like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz to become the grandparents of King David, for goodness sake, and then in the, in the lineage of Jesus. And so somewhere in there, it says to us, Lord God, that you have a plan for our lives, and there may be a time, and there may be a moment, and it might be tonight, and it might be this week, where we, the most unlikely, could be heroes under your leading and guiding. And so I pray, Lord, for those in our congregation for whom that line is, is relevant, that you would continue to call us forward. And then, Lord, finally, I just want to pray for those for whom tonight this is an invitation to meet their family redeemer. Maybe even that word, that phrase, will be unfamiliar probably to everybody or most people here, but, but Lord, even that is somehow compelling, somehow heartwarming, somehow inviting to meet you for the first time or afresh. So God, we thank you 
for those who may feel that and we pray your presence and so what I'm going to do is just to just to give a, few, a couple of minutes silence really and just allow God to visit you in the way that he'd like in the way that you're open in the thoughts that you already have so would you come God Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Shore Vineyard Podcast. Real quick, before you go, if you haven't already, it would be a great idea to subscribe to the podcast, especially if somebody sent this to you, so that you don't miss when the next episode gets published. And if you are on Auckland's North Shore and in the Forest Hill or the Bays area, we'd love to host you in person at one of our services, either 10am or 5pm this coming Sunday. It would be our honour to host you as a guest this weekend. Whatever is in store for you for the rest of the day, the rest of this week, I hope it is a good one, and we'll see you next time here on the Shore Vineyard Podcast.